Pretty much. Right, whenever you're ready, go ahead. Just walk in, take a seat, and then... Roll it. Where is the other? Big small. There it is. Emery, over here? Over here? Oliver is big and strong. They're both big and strong. Happening crosswalk. Hey, family, how you doing? It's good to see you all. Thanks for being here today. It is a delight to be able to share with you once again. Pastor Tim is out in Chattanooga this weekend. They're celebrating their three-year anniversary. So let's give it up for Crosswalk Chattanooga. They've been celebrating all day. Big stuff happening in that community. Praise God for that. As you know, or if you're joining us, we've been going through a series that we've been calling Love Well. And we've been looking at the Crosswalk Church's end statements. There are five of them. And as we've done every week, we read through each one of them. But these are statements that from the start, 18 years ago, the leaders of this church prayed over these things. They, they thought through these things. They wanted to just imagine and dream of what God had in store for this community. So we have these end statements and we've been journeying through each of them. Today, we end with our fifth and final end statement. And we're gonna spend time with that today. So let's start with number one, just a reminder, a refresher. The very first end statement Crosswalk have, has, it says, Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. This is such a beautiful statement. This is our statement of inclusivity. This is where we really lean into what Jesus says, that his love, his grace is for all people in all times, in all places. And that's what we're about. Our second end statement says, Crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. So this one is about our discipleship. This is how we come together for corporate worship. We learn, we grow. We, we do this individually in our private lives, in our small groups. But this is all about how we grow and we mature spiritually. Beautiful statement. The third statement says, Crosswalk will be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. This means that what we say here has to make sense in our lives. This is what we're about. What we're doing is relevant, it's applicable, it's, it's beautiful. Fourth statement, this is what we studied last week. Pastor Tim nailed it. If you didn't hear that one, I would suggest you go back and listen. It was so inspiring. The fourth end statement says, Crosswalk will be a community that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for the powerless, the oppressed, and the abandoned. So this is our statement that focuses on service, how we live out the missio day, that mission of God that's on each of our lives and each of our hearts. How do we serve those that are in need, the marginalized, the oppressed? And we looked at that last week, so good. And today we land on end statement number five, which says, Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership. So this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend some time digging into scripture and really knowing what this is meaning for us and what it's all about. So I figured we should start with a definition. It's really basic, really simple. But if you think about it and look at servant leadership, what does that mean? Servant leadership is a philosophy of leadership in which the goal of the leader is to serve. Very basic, simple, right? But so true, so important. A servant leader is empowering. A servant leader shares 
power. They put the needs of their people in front of their own. They work to develop, to equip them so that they can do the best work that they can, what, what God is calling them to. That's what servant leadership is all about. And the modern day idea, this modern philosophy came to light through the mind of a man named Robert Greenleaf. So he kind of brought it to light in the context here in, in the last 40 years or so. And his idea was inspired by this story. It was called Journey to the East. It was written by a German author named Hermann Hesse. And the story is basically, I'm gonna summarize it here. Um, it's a story of a, a, like a group, a religious sect that was in the search for the ultimate truth. And what they discovered on their journey was that one of the people, a servant that was in the group, was very instrumental to the group's success, to the group dynamics. And something happened along the way where this, they, they kind of encountered some conflict. The servant just ended up disappearing, went away. And one of the main characters in the story searched for this servant later on, years later. He wanted to kind of come and tell him like, hey, when you left, everything changed. My life was different. It was, it was bad. So he was going to kind of lament and bring us all. So he comes and in his search for him, he's invited to come before this, I think it's called the Supreme Council, but it's essentially the, the leadership of the league. And when he comes before these leaders, he finds that the servant was the president of the league. Dun, dun, dun. So dramatic, right? I was like, that could be a good movie. I would watch that. So this is where Greenleaf, he, he's inspired by this. He's like, wow, servant leadership. So he, he writes about it in 1970. And from that point, there's been so many articles published, books written, seminars taught, all about servant leadership. And I would say, if Greenleaf were here today, if I was bold enough, I may say, hey, aren't you a little late to the game, buddy? Like, we have a leader, we have a, a God who taught these principles 2,000 years ago, right? He, he lived out servant leadership. He showed it, modeled it, exemplified it. And his, all of that changed the course of history, right? So let's not spend any more time talking about Robert Greenleaf, modern day. Let's go back to the source. Let's look at the true servant leader, our great God, Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend time looking at Matthew chapter 23. If you have your Bible or you want to pull it up on your phone, your tablet, I'll invite you to do that. We'll have it up here as well so you can read along with it. But Matthew 23, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. It's kind of a hefty portion, but I'm going to read, and this is what the word of the Lord says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for a show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk along in the marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, he says, for you have only one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. 
He says, and don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, and that is the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now let's take a moment to understand where we're at in the biblical narrative. This is taking place in the Passion Week. So Jesus is, he's days away from crucifixion. He's coming to Jerusalem triumphantly. He's already flipped over these tables. He's been teaching in the synagogue, in the temple, and the leaders are up in arms over that. They've been looking for ways to trap him. They've been looking for ways to kill him. And Jesus here, he goes in even harder on them. In fact, if you were to keep reading in the gospel of Matthew 23, it goes into the seven woes against the Pharisees. So Jesus, if you thought this was bad, he gets even worse. He goes in on them. So. Jesus begins this teaching, and really he starts out with this statement of recognition, right, before he gets to the condemnation. Jesus says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. Now, other texts, other versions of this will say that they sit in the seat of Moses, or they sit in Moses' seat. Now, there's an interesting interpretation here. There's kind of two thoughts. There's a literal and there's a metaphorical here. And that means there was an actual seat in the temple, a literal seat that was called Moses' seat. And this is where the leaders would sit and they would teach from. This is an actual place, but there's additional meaning, this metaphorical meaning, which I think Jesus is highlighting here, that says the religious leaders were occupying a place of authority, the same one that Moses once had. And with that, they were taking on this mantle of being his successors and explaining and defending the law. So they take it very seriously. Jesus says they sit in that seat. He acknowledges that. They have a certain degree of authority. He acknowledges that. He affirms them for that before he critiques them. He says, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. So there's this recognition of expertise. Jesus acknowledges that they know the law. They are the teachers of the law. In fact, they were hyper-focused on the law, right? They were so caught up in that that it got them in trouble. So Jesus says, practice, do what they say, obey what they tell you. He was not opposed to that. What he was opposed to was them not practicing what they preached. So he says, don't follow their example. They don't practice what they teach. Their issue was integrity. Right? They said one thing and they did another. They were incongruent in their word and in their deed. Now, unfortunately, we see this happening often in today's society. It feels like monthly, weekly sometimes you see a leader, someone in a high position, a position of authority, sometimes even a pastor that has a fall, a moral failure, right? Whether that's abuse, sexual misconduct, whether that's money issues, embezzlement. There are so many stories of people in positions of power that have fallen from grace. And it's just devastating, right? It makes me wonder if anybody in leadership is living in congruent and authentic life. It seems like so often they're caught up in the darkness rather than living in the light. So Jesus says, watch out for them. Don't follow their example. And he says, there is a higher way, a better way, a higher calling. He goes on, he says, these leaders, they crush 
people with unbearable religious demands, and they do not lift a finger to ease their burdens. What he's talking about here are these extra commandments that the teachers of the law are putting on the people. These extra teachings are known as the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was the oral law in Judaism. So you have the written law, the Torah, you've got the Mosaic law, there's hundreds of those. And then you have the Mishnah, which is this oral law. And within the Mishnah, there are 1,500 additional laws. And that's what they're putting on these people who are already feeling the weight of all the other laws. So there's this heavy weight, heavy burden being carried by the people. And rather than work to alleviate that, to lighten the load, they continue to pile on. Jesus, on top of that, he says that everything they did was for a show. Everything they do, he says, on their arms, they wear these extra wide prayer boxes. They have these long robes with extra, like extra long tassels. And he's talking about here a literal reading of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the Shema. This is where it says you are to do these things. And there's some scholars that believe Jesus perhaps even wore the prayer box and he had the long tassels. He was not opposed to keeping the law. What he was opposed to, what he was against was those things being for show. A source of pride, a source of arrogance rather than a source of humility and submission. This again is where integrity and authenticity come into play. When you serve, are you doing it in response to God's call in order that he alone sees, or are you doing it so that your fellow brothers and sisters will see and see that you're good and know that what you're doing is good, shows how righteous you are. Now, I wanna be totally honest here. This is an area where I struggle, right? Moment of truth, I feel this tension whenever I do something good. And maybe this is just me. Maybe it's not a human nature thing. You guys are all saints out there, I'm sure. You don't feel this tension, right? Like when you do something good, you just want everybody to know about it. Like pat on the back, right? So I feel this like tension even right now because there's a story that I have I want to share with you, but I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's like, I don't know, should I share this story? You guys want to hear this thing? Or? Yes, okay, all right, one person, yes. All right, all right, here, here it goes. Once upon a time, when I was a seminarian living in the frozen cold tundra of Berrien Springs, Michigan, I was driving on the interstate northbound, heading to town, and as I look on the other side of the freeway, I see a car that's broken down almost in a snow drift, right? I look and I see, as I'm coming up on it, this woman is standing there, probably freezing, and I'm like, oh man, I should help her. I see that it's a tire issue. I'm like, okay, you know, God bless my dad. He tried to teach me like about cars and things like that. But like if my skateboard was nearby, I'd be like, this is what I want to do. Like I'm going to do this. But he did. He did teach me how to change a tire. That's something I'm fairly confident in. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go help this woman. I turn around, drive back. I pull up behind her. Try my best to not be like the creepy guy. I'm like, hello, can I help you? Like, don't scare her. Um, and it was kind of interesting because she was like a little bit indifferent, like, sure, I guess. And I'm like, oh, so, okay. So I'm like, let me help you. Um, so anyways, to make a long story even longer, I, I fixed the tire. And as we're talking, she tells me she's on her way to a job interview. And I'm like thinking, oh man, I am gonna save the day here. She's gonna get to the interview nail it, it's gonna change her life. And I'm like, way to go, buddy, like, good job. But I'm also, I feel this tension like, hey, 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 
this, this is something you should just do and not tell anybody about, right? Like, just keep this between you and God and this very indifferent woman. And so I'm like, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna just go, right? Never once did I think this is gonna be a sermon illustration. It just never crossed my mind, right? But okay, so what happened, she ends up like being very nonplussed, just kind of like indifferent about, again, I don't know what I was expecting, but I certainly was expecting a bit more than what I got. She was like, okay, thanks. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So, so anyways, the reason I tell this story is because how strange it was, right? It's like, you understand why I had to tell this story as an illustration, right? <laughs> so, so anyways, oh, Lord, forgive me, right? So we're talking about making, <laughs> making a big deal out of something, right? The whole time I'm thinking like, don't make a big deal out of this. Just do this quietly, secretly, right? And this is what's happening. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees about how they make a show out of all the good deeds, all the things that they do. Because when you do it for the show, when that's what you're about, it causes misdirection, right? Rather than direct people's attention to God, they were distracting people from God. It becomes a problem when our acts of kindness are done for the glory of ourselves rather than the glory of God. So Jesus goes on and he tells the teachers, he says, he tells everybody, they love to sit at the head of these tables at banquets. They love the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to get these respectful greetings as they're going through the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi. Then he says, don't let anybody call you rabbi. He says, for you have only one teacher and you are all equals as brothers and sisters. So it may be a little hard to catch this, but seating, was a very elaborate cultural custom in Jesus' day. Like, it was a big deal. They would often have, like, U-shaped tables, and the person of prominence would sit at the head, and then their next in command were on the right and on the left. And then, essentially, your, your level of importance would go, like, pl- first place, second place, third place, right, down the line. So, really, if you're, like, in the fourth or fifth seat down the line, you may as well not even go to that party. You're, like, you're not even really important. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So... Jesus, he hones in on that. He says they they wanted to be in these important seats. He gets on them about their titles, right? I I recognize and I realize titles are important. I'm, I'm all about giving respect and honor where it is due. But in this situation, they were taking it much further. There is much more to the story than meets the eye. Recently, we were having like a staff meeting and it was kind of running into lunch hour. So we're like, hey, we should order some food. And... We, we put in an order through Chipotle and online, you can do a group order, but when you put your individual order and in, you put your name on it. So a little while ago, Pastor Tim, we were having a similar thing where we were ordering food and our lead pastor, Dr. Timothy Gillespie, put that on his food. And we're like, oh, okay, boss, like doctor, here's your food, doctor. We made like a big deal of it, right? So here recently, played a big joke on him. We were like whispering around, put doctor on your order. And we were texting each other. So all of us in the staff meeting, put doctor, Mike, doctor, Karen. (laughs) And then when the food comes, we put it right in front of Tim. So he has to hand it out. And he's like, doctor, Christian, doctor, Andy. And we're like, oh man, we got him so good. We were dying. So I'm making light of titles, but these teachers took it very seriously. It was something that had become an issue. And that reason is because in Jesus' day, this title rabbi, it literally meant master or my great one. 
So there's like a lot built into that. It was used for the best teachers of the day. And clearly these leaders were already struggling with humility because they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be known, they wanted to have the best seats, to be given all the accolades, the respect, the honor, and they got caught up in the show so much so that they're craving these titles. Jesus' next statement, he goes even further down this line, he says, don't, don't even address anyone as father here on earth, for only God in heaven is your father. He says, don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Now, when I was younger, I would often just read a text like this and take it extremely literally. So I remember reading this and being like, oh no, I can't even call my dad father. Jesus says, don't call him father. So I'm like, not gonna do it. There's a text about do not make any promises. And I read that, I was like, that's it. I'm never gonna say I promise anything again. Like just, that was the way that I, that way I operated. So in this context though, what we don't know and don't see often is that the Pharisees were often called Abba, by their disciples. So, so this again is part of this like escalation, this padding of their egos, right? They're wanting to be called these things because it elevated their status. It brought them up rather than bring them down, right? They needed to be humbled. And this is where Jesus takes us in this next statement, the great statement on servant leadership. He says, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a statement of such extreme importance because it highlights this great reversal, right? It's a, it's a huge shift, a change to the status quo. It is not only spoken of by Jesus, but it is lived out. It is exemplified in his life. You see it over and over again as you read the Gospels. And as we've talked about all these, all these things that they were struggling with, we see the way Jesus responds, the critique he gives. And I see it really breaking down into three main themes or three ways. The first way is this way of unrealistic burdens, right? These leaders and teachers, they were placing these unreasonable expectations on the believers in that day. It was so counter to the way of Jesus because we know that Jesus taught his, his way, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So rather than uh, alleviate, they were adding, they were adding to this crushing weight of legalism that was already on the people. They could not hold it up. The second way that we see here is sight over substance, right? These leaders, they cared more about looking the part than living it. Their focus was so, so much on appearances rather than on substance. This is like the modern day equivalent of virtue signaling, right? It is all about the show. It is all done to boost their egos, not in humility, not for the love of God, not for their fellow brother or sister. The third way, last one, is status over service. They cared so much more about their status, how they were viewed, than their service, what they did, how they lived it out. They wanted to climb the social ladder. They loved the title. They loved the respect. And they got caught up in the ways of man instead of the way of the cross. So Jesus, in his great goodness, in his glory, he shows us the right way. He leads us on the right way. And over those three ways, we see these, the way of mercy, the way of integrity, 
and the way of humility. These are the ways of Jesus. Rather than unrealistic expectations, over, out of control burdens, Jesus offers mercy. Our God is so merciful. And he knows, he knows how hard our lives are because he came, he lived it. He's familiar with our human condition. In Hebrews chapter four, he tells us that we have a high priest who knows our situation and he invites us to come to him. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Praise God. Additionally, we see Jesus as a man of supreme integrity. He was the same in public as he was in private. It, he lived this out. Integrity was integral to his life and he modeled it. And finally, in regards to humility, Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. He came down from heaven. He took on humanity. He stooped low and he washed the feet of his disciples. This is the high king of heaven, the creator of all the universe, taking on the form of servant, humbling himself to wash the feet of his disciples. And he invites us to follow in those ways. Paul, the apostle, he sums up these teachings as he writes to the Philippians. He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These three ways are radically different ways to hold power and authority. These three ways, mercy, integrity, humility, these are the ways of Jesus. These are the ways of a servant leader. These are the ways that we strive to live out our lives here at Crosswalk because we believe we are a community that exemplifies servant leadership. So may you live and lead with mercy. May you be congruent and authentic as you live with integrity. And may humility be the bedrock of all that you do and all that you say. 
My friends, next weekend is going to be phenomenal. Pastor Tim is going to wrap up our Love Well series with a really practical look at the ways we continue to live these things out. We've got some guests that are coming. We're going to highlight some ministries, have some interviews. It's going to be a phenomenal service, worship night, block party. I really hope and pray that you are here and bring your friends, bring your family. We don't want to miss it. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful God, thank you for being a God who humbled himself, who stooped low, who showed us the way of the cross. This is a way of mercy, a way of integrity, a way of humility. Lord, we often feel this, this tension, this struggle to do good and make it known to all. Help us on that path to be more like you. Help us to do good and to not make a big deal of it. Help us to see the way that you lived, the way that you led, and help us to be more like you. May you bless us in every aspect of our lives, in our communities, in our church, in our homes, and in our relationships. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?